Welcome to the Hills. Uh, Preacher Rick here. Merry Christmas to all. In person at North Richland Hills at Keller at West Fort Worth, if you're uh, part of our Dallas core group, if you're watching online. I hope you can be a part of our candlelight services. Now, they'll be next Saturday and Sunday at our three campuses in Tarrant County, and every service will be the same. So pick the one uh, that blesses your family schedule, and we look forward to that together. Can you believe that 2023 is almost over? And uh, there's a lot to look back on this year and uh, celebrate. The Texas Rangers won the World Series. How about that? And I want to give a special shout out to all in our church who have connections to Harding University because yesterday the Harding Bisons won the Division II National Championship in football. So congratulations to the Bisons. And speaking of football, you just need to know I jumped off the bandwagon, but I jumped back on. The Cowboys are going to the Super Bowl. (laughs) Speaking of the Super Bowl, I want to tell you a story. Now, if you're old enough to care about sports, you've heard the name John Madden, but you younger people only remember him as an incredible broadcaster. John Madden, before that, had a successful career as a football coach, a Super Bowl-winning football coach for the Oakland Raiders. Look at this picture. This is John Madden at the 1977 Super Bowl. He's talking to Jim Tunney, one of the all-time great referees in the NFL. And it's just before the game. And John Madden said to Jim Tunney, Jim, glad you're here. I think you are the second best referee in the NFL. Well, Tunney said, thanks, coach. But you know he couldn't stop thinking. Well, who does he think is the best? So finally, he had to go over to the sideline and say, coach, I need to know. Who do you think is the best referee? And Madden replied, well, Jim, it's a tie between the other 89 referees in the NFL. (laughs) See, that's what happens. You start thinking about what other people are thinking about you, and it rarely ends well. So we're in this series called Fearless Christmas, reading the birth narratives and noticing how many times the phrase, don't be afraid, shows up. And can we admit that dreading what other people might be thinking about us is one of the strongest fears of all? And it can be hard to obey when you are worried about what other people might say. It takes a lot of courage to do what you believe is right when you know some people are going to think it is the wrong way to go. And so consistent obedience, must model a kind of fearlessness that is practiced by my personal favorite character in the Christmas story. Let's meet him in Matthew 1, verse 18. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. Let's try to enter his world. Joseph has lived all his life in Nazareth. He's known Mary since they were babies playing in the dusty streets of Nazareth. And it is the best of times for Joseph. He is engaged to the love of his life. 
He's enjoying tremendous goodwill in the community. Not a day goes by that someone doesn't say, Joseph, we are so excited to come to your wedding. He is building this growing carpentry business to the point that he's now able to support a family. He's able to go to Mary's father and say, I am now able to take care of your daughter. And by the way, he is the kind of man that every father wants his daughter to find and to marry. Because Joseph was a righteous man. But here's what we miss. We see righteous as an adjective. But in Matthew's day, it was a title. There was a phrase they used, righteous man. And it was a description of a group of people that studiously and scrupulously learned and practiced Torah. The first five books of the Old Testament called the Law of Moses. I mean, they took their devotion to Torah to a whole new level. These righteous men were called Sadiq. I won't ask you to say it because you would have to spit on the person in front of you. But if you were Sadiq, there were things that were just true about you. For example, you never ate an unclean food, not even a sample. You never touched unclean people. If you were sick, if you were a leper, if you had just passed away, Joseph would not be close by. It means that you never entered the house of a Gentile, not even to wrap up a business deal. Because of one verse in Leviticus 19, you never shaved your beard or cut your sideburns. Because of a couple of verses in Numbers 5, you never went outside unless your clothes had tassels on them. And it meant that you never worked on Sabbath. Not even opening your shop a couple of hours that last year to make a little bit extra money to support your new family. You never worked on Sabbath. And you never gave anyone even the appearance of compromised sexual integrity. It's important to remember there wasn't just one virgin in the Christmas story. There was two. And Joseph never imagined that the future he had always imagined could be shattered after one unexpected and brief conversation with his fiancée. Have you ever pictured what you want your future to look like? Joseph did. He's going to have an amazing wedding. The whole town is going to come. The love of his life is going to be his bride. And they're going to have babies. Lots of babies. And he is going to name the first son after himself. Because that's what Hebrew men do. And he's going to teach his children Torah. And they're going to go to synagogue And someday they're going to ask Joseph to be an elder in the synagogue and a leader in the village. And one conversation 
blew up his dream. So what do you do when you don't get the life you had planned on? Well, Joseph knows what a righteous man must do. He must call off the wedding. He loves Mary, but he loves God more. And that brings us to the tension of the story. Because a righteous man is going to do what God wants. It's always the right thing to do. But God is about to ask him to do something that everyone is going to say is wrong. It says in verse 20, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Now understand what's happening here. God is saying, Joseph, I'm asking for fearless obedience. I want you to do the right thing. But most people are going to think it's wrong. You understand that if Joseph follows through, he will never be considered a righteous man again. But Joseph's fear of God trumped his fear of man. And what God said to him was more important to him than what other people might say about him. And so it says in verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. And if you read chapters 1 and 2 of Matthew four different times, God is going to speak to Joseph in a dream. And each time, Joseph is going to respond with immediate obedience, even though it's going to be costly. He wasn't just a righteous man. He was a courageous man. And he was the kind of man God could trust to mentor the Messiah. And though Joseph never says a word in the story, his life still speaks to us and confronts our fears. For example, one thing we learn is we should not be afraid to trust when it is confusing. See, obedience makes perfect sense when it's easy. Give me the reason, give me the plan, give me the logic. And it's easy to obey. But every parent knows there are times when the child does not understand what they are being asked to do. They don't get the why. They are asked to trust the who. Do you remember in Luke 5 when Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee and he sees some men in a boat. They're experienced fishermen. They know what they're doing. 
They have caught nothing all night. And Jesus says, cast your net on the other side of the boat. Does that make sense? Like fish only swim on one side of a boat. And Peter says, Master, we fished all night and have caught nothing. And then he says what Jesus is looking for in a disciple. But because you say so, I will let down the net. Now, we've all heard someone say, because I said so. And you can say that as a power play. But sometimes when you say, because I said so. You are appealing to your track record and to your character. And Joseph trusted the track record and the character of God. Because fearless obedience is going to trust God's character when it cannot see his plan. Joseph's life first was Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. And so Joseph is going to mentor and raise a boy he did not father. Not understanding why, but trusting who. So if you've been to Paris, you probably went by the Louvre, that incredible museum And there's a painting there from 1642 that you can see on the screen now called Joseph the Carpenter. And the artist has Joseph in his shop and young Jesus is holding up a candle. And the way he lights up the face of Jesus and the light even shines through part of the hand is just brilliant. But if you look at the bottom of the floor where Joseph is intently working like he's trying to meet a deadline, there's this piece of wood almost perpendicular to another piece of wood. It it almost looks like Joseph is building a cross. And what the author or the painter is doing is saying this was Joseph's role in the story. Though he didn't know it, he was preparing the Savior of the world for the mission God had for him. Joseph didn't fully understand where this story's going, But he trusted the author. See, Christmas reminds us that life is not random. There's a big story going on. And we all have roles to play in this drama. But in this story, we're not the main character. And when we believe that, obedience makes good sense, even when it doesn't make sense. I know that's a contradiction, but it's true. That when you do believe that God is good, his character is trusted, he's writing this big story, and Jesus is the star, and we're all part of it, and you trust the heart of the author, then obedience to him makes sense, even when it doesn't make sense to most people. And it won't to most people, because most people are fearful. And the fearful will always run away from the price of obedience. Because that's the second thing Joseph teaches us. To not be afraid to commit when it's costly. And it will be. You see what God was saying to Joseph is, Joseph, I know you are not responsible for Mary's pregnancy. 
But I want you the rest of your life to be responsible for the consequences of Mary's pregnancy. There's a tension that preachers live with. Because I really do believe the life of obedience is the best way to live. And so often when I deal with people in hard places and in different situations that are diff, uh, challenging, their pain is self-inflicted. They disobeyed God. They walked away from his order and his design, and they're dealing with consequences. But what I cannot do as a preacher is just stand here and say, if you will just obey God, nothing bad will ever happen and life will be easy. There are people in prison today because they obeyed God. Sometimes obedience makes your life harder because it comes with a price. Joseph, obedience cost him his reputation as a righteous man. It cost him goodwill in the community. It cost him that big celebration and wedding he had always thought about. It, it, it cost him Probably business from former customers. It definitely cost him his chance to ever be a leader in a synagogue. He sacrificed to obey. That sacrifice included, for a time, his right to have sexual relations with the woman God told him to marry. He sacrificed the right that every Hebrew man cherished to call the first son in your family by your name. Joseph lost his life for Jesus. And some must have thought he lost his mind because one thing you better understand about Joseph, apparently he lived out his life of fearless obedience, never having his choices vindicated by his community. Oh, we can look back now and honor Joseph for his courage, but that man died with most people shaking their heads thinking, oh, what could have been if he had chosen a different path? When I was young, you didn't have cable television and ESPN. And so if you wanted to catch up on what was going on globally in the world of sports, you watched a show on Saturday called The Wide World of Sports. And if you watch that show like I often did, every Saturday you saw this clip. Watch it quickly. His inexperience, he fell on his first jump. A lot of speed in that track. Now look at him. And you would hear Jim McKay say, the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. And for decades, that man was the agony of defeat. But the rest of the story is that that man did not fall off that slope accidentally. It was a choice. He was going down. The slope had become too icy. He was going too fast. He knew if he took off, he would land past the safe landing area, and it could be fatal. So what looked like foolishness was actually fearlessness. He made the difficult choice to pay the price 
that saved his life. And Jesus said, you will have to make some hard choices to follow me. And what many will call foolish will save your life. Matthew 16, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Jesus was describing his earthly father. Obedience cost Joseph the future he had planned. But it gave him a future as a part of God's plan. Joseph really did love God more. And when you love God most, you love people best, even when some think it's not best. And that's the last thing Joseph teaches us, that not to be afraid to love when it's hard. You see, no one would have faulted Joseph if he had publicly shamed Mary. In fact, some would probably say, Joseph, the best thing you can do to save your reputation is to make a spectacle of Mary. But Joseph knew Mary's life is about to be very hard. And he had no desire to make it harder. And I think it's worth noting that Joseph is wrestling with how can I bless Mary even before he got a word from the Lord. That somehow he sensed that what everyone was telling him was the right thing to do felt wrong. Now, please understand, he's a righteous man. He's not turning his back on the law of God. He's not turning his back on God's will. But because he loves God's word, he perceives that the intent of the law of God is to promote love of God and love of people. So he's wrestling with, how can I be full of grace and truth? Like father, like son. Have you noticed in the Gospels how many times Jesus showed grace to women who everyone said had done wrong? A woman who's been married five times and currently living with a man meets Jesus at a well and in that culture, a righteous man would say, get away from me. And Jesus offered her living water. And she became the first person to whom he revealed his Messiahship. He's at a party one time, and a woman from the street walks in, crashes the party. And when I say from the street, I don't mean that's where she lived. I mean, that's where she worked, and you know what I mean. And she starts crying and washing his feet with tears. And everyone at the party thought, now, if he was a righteous man, he would say, get your hands off me and go back to the gutter you came from. But Jesus said, woman, your sins are forgiven, for you have loved much. And they brought a woman to him caught in adultery. And I know the woman was probably used and it was a trap, but let's not dismiss the fact the woman committed adultery. She violated some other woman's marriage covenant. A grievous thing. But Jesus said, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here 
to tell you, don't commit that sin anymore. And it seems like he's always giving the possibility of a future to people who've had a rough past. Have you ever considered that Jesus treated women the way his adoptive father treated his mother? So if you haven't gotten the life you had planned, could it be because there is someone God needs you to love in the life that you've got? So this time last year, there's a race in California, the Monterey Bay Half Marathon. Dr. Steve Lohm was training for that race, looking forward to running with his teenage children, hoping he could stay up with them. At the three-mile mark, a man collapsed. He didn't trip. He collapsed. And Dr. Lohm, a cardiologist, immediately stopped and for six minutes did CPR. And Gregory Gonzalez's life was saved. The ambulance came. At this point, his kids have gone past him. He's not going to make the time he was shooting for for his race, especially because now he's running with the phone in his hand talking to the hospital about uh, Gregory's condition and how he found him and what he did for him. But he does finish the race, but he doesn't have any time to celebrate because as soon as he crossed the line, someone said, we need a doctor. Michael Hallman had collapsed. And again, Steve is doing CPR and revived him and literally, again, saved his life. Now, this is a rare thing. They do a lot of studies about long-distance races. It's very rare for someone to collapse like this. It's also very rare when someone does that they survive. But these two men did. In fact, you can see their picture. They've become friends, and this month they are going to run that race together. And here's the interesting thing. Steve did not get the race he was planning or the race he wanted. But he got the race those two men needed. In fact, if he had not stopped to help Gregory, he would not have been at the finish line at the exact time that someone needed to be there to help Michael. It wasn't the race he had planned. But it was the race someone else needed him to run. So in the race that God has given you to run, there are going to be people that are going to be hard to love. And have you ever noticed, they tend to show up at Christmas time. <laughs> but love them courageously, remembering that you love God most by loving people best and calling people. To obey God like you do. So that leads me then to tell again my all-time favorite Christmas illustration. It happened back in the 1960s. It was in Guidepost magazine. It's about a nine-year-old boy named Wallace Perling. Wallace was big for his age, slow of movement, slow of mind, nine years old and only in the second grade. Wallace probably had learning disabilities, but no one knew much about that then. Wallace desperately wanted to be in his church's Christmas pageant. But the director was concerned that Wallace wouldn't be able to remember enough lines to have an important role. But then she decided he could be the innkeeper. He's bigger than the kids, an imposing figure, and he only has a couple of lines. So that's what happened. 
So it came the night for the play, and Joseph and Mary approach the door and knock. And Wallace has to say, what do you want? And Joseph says, we seek lodging. The inn is full. But sir, we have traveled a long way, and we can't find a place to stay. The inn is full. And then Joseph puts his arm around Mary and says, sir, my wife is pregnant and about to have a baby. Surely you have a place where she can rest. And for the first time, Wallace looks at Mary. And there's this real awkward, long silence that makes everyone in the audience a little embarrassed. You've been there. And you hear the prompter backstage, go away, be gone, go away, be gone. And so finally, Wallace says, go away, be gone. And so Joseph and Mary sadly turn and walk away. And you can see a crease in Wallace's forehead. And tears well up in his eyes. And this pageant takes a turn no one expected. He smiles and calls out, Joseph, Mary, come back. You can have my room. And some say that pageant was ruined, but most said it was the best Christmas pageant that ever attended. Because sometimes things just don't go as you planned. So remember in those times, you are part of a bigger story. And you can be certain that the author is good. And so what he's asking you to do not where you wish you were, but where you are, is to trust and obey. So let's pray. So God, we, we want to be courageous for Jesus, but we confess there's a lot of fear in the world. And sometimes it's really hard not to let fear have more influence in our lives than it needs to have. And so give us, like Joseph, the courage to do what's right, even if no one else does, even if no one else understands, even if we don't understand. Give us the courage to play the role you've asked us to play in the big story of Jesus. And to trust the author is good and the story will end well. Help us this Christmas to love and honor Jesus the way his adoptive daddy did. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.